So hello and welcome to the Tech Queens podcast, a podcast focused on featuring the stories and advice from women of color in tech. In this episode, I'm talking with Helena Jaramillo, an Ecuadorian product designer currently at Coda. Hey, Helena. How are you? Good. How are you? It's I'm okay. It's Monday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get started. What's your story? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So yeah, I'm from Ecuador. I immigrated here when I was six Mm -hmm. to upstate New York. And then I moved around quite a bit within the States and then also back to Ecuador. So I spent some time in between both countries quite a bit Mm -hmm. and got into tech pretty much right out of college Mm -hmm. and have been working as a product designer full time for almost five years. Five years. Wow. And how did you get into specifically product design? Did you study that in college or how did that happen? Yeah, I I did not study product design in college. I uh, was interested in design kind of earlier when I was a teen. I started doing designing blogs on Greatest Journal, which was very similar to Live Journal, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, the way that a lot of people got into design mm-hmm. of kind of like my age group. Wait, what was that again? What was that called? My platform is called Greatest Journal, but uh-huh. it's very similar to Live Journal. And what's Live Journal for those yeah. who don't know? Yeah, great. So Live Journal was a blogging platform around 2004, that time, mm-hmm. where you could completely change the CSS and HTML of mm-hmm. your of your blog so you could customize your blog the way that you wanted to Mm -hmm. make it and so I had a blog I would customize it and I would also customize the blogs of my friends oh nice okay gotcha yeah so that was just like how I started like coding a little bit but then Mm -hmm. you could also like create different graphics for it so you could create like a blog banner and Mm -hmm. things like that and Mm -hmm. so that was super fun for me (laughs) yeah so no no no. I feel like a lot of uh like that generation with like MySpace they also have similar stories where they like messed around with the code and like created something cool and like shared it with their friends and stuff yeah yeah. absolutely and so I think that's what was really cool about that era where you could actually customize um the platforms that Mm -hmm. you were working in exactly yeah so yeah so I did that and then in high school I was also designing for my high school newspaper and Mm -hmm. I did kind of the layouts there and so that was another way that I kind of started also messing with design. And I actually wanted to go into journalism. I really wanted to go into media, mm-hmm. but I was always interested in technology. So I ended up majoring in new media so mm-hmm. that I could kind of combine like my love of media and technology. What's a new media? Yeah. So that program ended up being quite different than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was about, it was more of a contemporary art program about mm-hmm. how you create art with new mediums like audio, video, and the web. So kind Mm -hmm. of like sound art and video art Mm -hmm. and like um, studying the history of like early net art. So like websites that were art made in the early 90s in -hmm. particular. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people still make new media art today. It's just a bit more updated. Mm -hmm. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. All right, I studied that in college and so through that I wasn't really doing the design I was mm-hmm. thinking a lot more about like internet culture we also studied a lot of like internet culture and how technology impacts society Interesting. Nice. and how art kind of relates to technology and society and that kind of stuff but while I was doing that I was my university was really close to New York City and I started doing product design and internships at that time mm-hmm Uh, Yeah, but that was after going to community college and taking a bunch of time off from school. So it was a a bit of a winding path, Mm -hmm. but eventually ended up doing product design internships. Okay, brilliant. 
so the product design internships would you would say was like your first taste of like getting product design experience and then eventually you just went full-time right yeah yeah so i was just doing uh did internships while i was in college so mm -hmm. in the summertime and also while i was in school and what are you currently doing now full-time i know you said you had five years of product design experience so where are you now yeah so i recently joined a startup called coda mm -hmm. where i'm a product designer there it's a startup that's building a new type of document platform so mm -hmm. it's a combination of google docs and excel oh wow that's intense <laughs> yeah <laughs> and where's your family from yeah, so my family and myself are from Ecuador. So my whole family is from Ecuador. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Is most of your family still in Ecuador? A good amount of my family is still in Ecuador, um, and a good amount also moved to the States eventually. But um, Which uh, state specifically? New York State. Oh, New York. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's kind of the same story for me. Like, my parents immigrated in their 20s from Peru, and I have, like, half my family still in Peru, and then half my family, like, in Virginia and Chicago. LA, Miami, like different, you know, kind of Latino hubs in the yeah, US, exactly. basically. <laughs> so, yeah. What was your favorite part about growing up in New York City, or in New York State, rather? Yeah, um, I, so I guess, yeah, I think one of my favorite parts about growing up was moving around a lot. So, um, even, really? Yeah, so I moved to the States when, or to New York when I was six, mm -hmm. but then I moved back to Ecuador when I was 12. I spent mm -hmm. some time there, and then I moved to Colorado when I was 15, and then I moved back to Ecuador when I was 19. No way, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty fun to um, get to know so many different kinds of people and so many different places. Um, even between the states, um, one of the cities I lived in was Syracuse, and then the other one was Boulder, Colorado, and mm -hmm. they're both really, really different types of cities, mm -hmm. different types of people. So yeah, so that was cool, like kind of being in a lot of places and now you're here in SF. And now I'm here in SF. Yeah, I recently moved to SF. Wow, that's a, that's a lot. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was kind of stuck in Virginia for like the first 18 years of my life. And then finally for college, I decided to get out of there and it didn't work out. So I came back and like was with my parents for a while. So it's really interesting. Um, it definitely feels like you have a better sort of sense of the world since you've traveled so much. And do you enjoy traveling? Like, Yeah, I do. I definitely enjoy traveling. Um, and actually, after college, I wanted to continue traveling. I was really fortunate enough to find jobs in different places that I wanted to go. So my mm -hmm. first job out of college was in Switzerland. And wow. then I moved to London after that. Wow. Yeah, and so that was like, you know, super fortunate that I was able to find those jobs, but definitely also like a conscious decision to look for jobs in places that I wanted to go to. And just like explore. Yeah. And did you ever feel like uncomfortable at all or like scared or nervous about going to these places you had no context into at all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, especially, you know, right out of college when I moved to Switzerland, I had never been to Europe before. I had never even visited. I did not speak Swiss German. I really didn't know anybody there. Mm -hmm. So I got there and I was like, wow, like, why did I do this? You know, all my <laughs> friends had moved to New York City and mm -hmm. everyone was kind of having a great time. And I was like, I don't know anyone here. So, yeah, I've definitely felt that a lot. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think because I've moved around a lot, it's become like quite normal for me to just be in places and like not know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that can feel lonely at times. But mm -hmm. I think for me, like the benefits of seeing new places outweighs mm -hmm. 
No, I think that it's really good to start feeling comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think we're going to talk about that more in like what we discuss later. So a few more personal questions before we move on to the serious stuff. Sure. <laughs> what do you like to do for fun or what are you passionate about outside of work? Well, outside of work, I, let's see, I'm trying to make, continue making more things. So, I mean, it's a little bit work related, I suppose, because I like to make digital things, but, mm-hmm. um, at the end of last year, I made a game, and that was kind of the first game that I had made. And um, what was the game about? If you don't mind. Yeah, it was um, it was like a pretty simple choose-your-own-adventure game. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so <laughs> I just I made the visuals for it, and mm-hmm. I wrote the story, and mm-hmm. that was fun. I hadn't mm-hmm. really done that before. Now I'm working on another side project that's also a bit game-like potentially, but it has to do with like walking in cities and how you experience places and things like that. That sounds cool too. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess I like to make stuff. Right now I've also started reading graphic novels, which I hadn't done before. Uh-huh. And that's what kind? A new are... world to me. Which ones? Well, I, I'm very new to it. So I've been starting with Persepolis and mm-hmm. Black Hole. Okay, because I don't know anything about okay. <laughs> Um So I guess I've been starting with like less of like the superhero-related ones. Oh, okay, because that's the, that's the only thing that kind of jumped into my mind. Like, right. When I think graphic novels, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of non-superhero-related mm-hmm. ones, and those are the ones that I've been kind of starting with. Mm-hmm. But I'm also excited about checking out some superhero-related ones, too. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I think the Hellboy ones are supposed to be good, not the not the latest movie but like the actual comic book yeah anyway that's a heads up okay once you enter the field did you see there was a lot of like latinx representation or women of color and if you didn't see a lot of representation which i'm assuming you didn't like how did that make you feel (laughs) (laughs) and did you ever feel like kind of bothered by that or isolated or anything similar to that I think it was obvious to me like right away and I I suppose that I had kind of expected that so I guess it didn't it never felt like a surprise to me it Mm -hmm. never felt like a moment where I was like oh what there's no Latinx people here but yeah it definitely bothered me um, quite a lot it obviously still bothers me today I think especially my first job out of college in Switzerland was Mm -hmm. um at a big tech company, like super engineering heavy, um, very, very like male, very, very white. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like just kind of lacking diversity in general. And then like to ask for like something like, you know, women of color was mm-hmm. <laughs> even a step beyond, you mm-hmm. know. Did you ever feel pressure to like act in a certain way because of your background and how you weren't like everybody else? I mean, I think it, it took a while for me to kind of find my voice and you know find space for myself to like be heard and really you know kind of take ownership of my ideas i guess i felt i there were definitely times where i felt like i couldn't be as much of myself until i found kind of the space and time to do that Mm -hmm. so would you say one of the biggest obstacles you had was finding that confidence then to sort of like I guess, speak out in the room, what have you, or? Yeah, definitely. I think that was one of the biggest things, like getting used to being in rooms or in meetings where you may be the only woman, you may be the only person of color. That definitely takes a lot of time, I think, to get used to. Mm -hmm. Um, And learning to, like, not be intimidated by that and learning to feel comfortable. Or maybe there will always be a certain Mm -hmm. sense of not feeling super comfortable, but learning to overcome that and kind of, say what you need to say anyways. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that, of course, like I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think that was definitely much harder in my first job, of mm-hmm. course, because then you're also also young, you know. I mean, I'm still I'm still young now, but <laughs> I was even younger then, of mm-hmm. course. And and so then, you know, not only are they like all guys and all white, but like they're also like old people that you maybe you haven't even been around those kind of people when you're in college, you know. Mm-hmm. So right, that's true. So did you ever feel like actually intentionally excluded like from the conversation then like when you were early on in your career as a product designer? Yeah, I mean, I will say that I feel like I've been really supported by the tech mm-hmm. industry and mm-hmm. you know, I totally acknowledge all of the flaws and all of the things that we still have to get better at. Mm-hmm. That being said, and you know, this is totally like my experience yeah, right, and I right. totally take out everybody else's experience. I feel really lucky in that I've had a lot of people who've um, supported me in my in my internships. I think in particular when I was first starting out, mm-hmm. the first couple of people were women. Mm-hmm. For example, that was super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, really, people who were there to like look out for me and kind of mentor me going forward. Mm-hmm. So I will say like that was super helpful. I think going into other industries, especially as a designer, maybe in probably in other industries as well, as a designer, you might go to like a design studio or a design firm where they're not going to pay you as an intern. Oh, um, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, within design, like they don't pay interns specifically. Yeah, exactly. I've always thought that was a little bit odd. I think some other industries do that as well, but it's like specifically for interns, they just don't get a salary for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. when I was in college, um, I started looking just like general design internships. I wasn't mm-hmm. particularly looking for like UX or product design. Mm-hmm. The only internship that I yeah. got that would pay me oh. happened was at a tech startup. Oh. Okay, that's interesting. And so that's yeah. actually how I got into it. I wasn't particularly like, oh, I want to work at a tech company. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I was applying to them, so I was interested, but mm-hmm. I, I certainly wasn't like, oh, I'm only going to do design and tech. Mm-hmm. But it was the only place that was willing to pay me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Though. And yeah, <laughs> so even, even, even in that sense, like that was a support that other places weren't giving me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that being said, like I, I feel that I have been supported a lot, but... I think there are plenty of times where I felt excluded, even, you know, um, not intentionally, but it, you know, it just kind of happens. I think especially like microaggressions, maybe. Yeah, microaggressions or like, you know, just being like in very like male centric circles where like, you know, guys are talking guy things mm-hmm. and you're like, you I don't really yeah. contribute to the conversation. Yeah, I can't really contribute to that. I don't really have anything to say, nor do I really want to, you right. know, like there are definitely times where like you could... You could decide, hey, I, I'm going to like learn about that hobby or something because then I'll have conversation to talk about. But I was never interested in that. Or also, you know, honestly, just being like a small, like I'm quite short mm-hmm. and just being like a short person in like um, a world full of like tall guys. Mm-hmm. There are definitely times where I felt, oh, hey, like that, that also feels different. And they're talking about other guy things. And, oh, yeah. So it's like kind of that dominant factor sort of taking into play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Peruvians are some of the shortest people in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel like I'm like 5'3 yeah. <laughs> at most. <laughs> Well, given what you've talked about, if you could give any advice like to your younger self as you were starting out, what would you tell your younger self? Like right before you were getting into all of this, if you had to do something better, you know, like what would it be? Yeah, I think one advice is like 
definitely try to find people who are going to support you. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it was really like finding women who could support me, mm-hmm. whether they were women of color or, or white women as mm-hmm. well. You know, that helped so much. And they didn't necessarily have to be like a manager or somebody like in a more mm-hmm. leadership position. So many times I would look to my peers and see how they were reacting to situations. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped me a lot. And I wish that I had saw out more of that and just like mm-hmm. been more explicit you know, like there were women who were hiring me and I think I certainly like saw them a little bit as mentors, but I mm-hmm. think I never made that explicit to them or that I really like want, like sought out their advice. Mm-hmm. And so I think my advice for, you know, people starting out would be to really seek out people who you do value their opinion. Mm-hmm. You may have similar experiences to them. You want to see how they may react to situations. Mm-hmm. So I think like really asking for that, especially if you're in, already in the workplace with them, mm-hmm. um, I think that's super important. I completely agree. But I think what's more interesting is how to actually do that. Because what I would advise like for folks starting out is if you are trying to connect with this person, like make it as easy as possible for them to get in touch with you and like actually talk with you. So like book the meeting, you know, take them out to lunch, pay for the lunch, like just make it a very pleasant experience because then they're more likely to give you better information, I think. Yeah, And absolutely. I don't know how you feel about that, if that's been your experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, being conscious that people are busy, people do have time constraints, and it mm-hmm. definitely shouldn't be like a burden on all women <laughs> to have to mentor everybody else. But yeah. as you said, I think like making it easier mm-hmm. or, you know, if, If there is somebody who you're already working with, you know, Mm -hmm. finding small moments where you're like, hey, like I had this thing or Mm -hmm. like, oh, I just even observing how they're how they're dealing with situations, I think Mm -hmm. is helpful. Brilliant. And what do you think could be done to create a safer space? It seems like you've had a lot of support like throughout your career. And so that's led to mostly positive experiences. But that's not the same story, of course, for all women, especially women of color in the tech industry. So I'm wondering, based on maybe any stories you've heard or anecdotes that you have, you know, what could be done to create a safer space for women of color so that we can actually, I don't know, thrive better and end up in leadership positions as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I've been thinking a lot about and certainly something that I've had to deal with is, Mm -hmm. and this is quite practical, but at the end of the day, it really is like the day-to-day things that happen that really Mm -hmm. add up, is, you know, being in a meeting or in some kind of space where somebody else is being heard more than you are, Mm -hmm. or perhaps, you know, I... I may have an idea and then a male, you know, a a white man Mm -hmm. says the same thing and then his idea is all of a sudden like, you know, better than my idea Mm -hmm. or the same, but like they take credit for that. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I've had to deal with a lot and something that I've learned to do is to just say like, oh, hey, I just said that actually. Mm -hmm. So calling it out. (laughs) So calling it out. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely took some time for me to like have the courage to be like, Hey, I just said that. Um, but you know, I do agree with your idea, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, not being super aggressive about it, but I've also learned to not have to like invoke humor into everything. Like some things are not super funny. Um, it shouldn't have to be. And I don't want to make light about a situation that's like, even if it's like a small idea, Mm -hmm. um, that like feels serious to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something that I I try to do, you know, I try to call it out for myself. I try to call it out for other other Mm -hmm. women or other people who that may happen to. I think it can also happen a lot to like people who are just quieter. Mm -hmm. 
but I think that really the way that I'm approaching it really depends on like myself being courageous enough to be like, hey, you know, I just had that. But I think in general, if we're creating cultures that are more inclusive, I would love to see us, you know, talking more about how we can have like softer communication and how we can be like kinder to one another in mm-hmm. in things like meetings, in things like just spaces where people are like talking publicly, mm-hmm. also giving more space to like nonverbal communication so that people can write in their ideas. Mm. Um, so for the folks who are more introverted, they have a chance to like give their opinion too. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Like tying to what you said about humor, I think that's actually very powerful. And I think that a lot of people, especially if they're kind of feeling intimidated, they will use humor as like a barrier of defense, you know, to like fit in. And I think that you see this even in elementary school with kids, like the people who are class clowns, they're class clowns because they really, really want to fit in. So I think that's very interesting that you pointed that out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think different people have different styles. You know, if you are like, if you feel comfortable using humor in that way, or Mm -hmm. you like that, then that's totally fair. Like, for me, I, that's just not really how I'd like to express myself and mm-hmm. certainly not in situations which like I don't think are fair. Mm-hmm. But I have felt that a lot of the times I feel like I've had to make the decision between like being likable and being heard. And yeah. that's not a decision that I would like to have to make. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like to be likable oh. and heard. <laughs> but at times like that where I'm like, hey, I just said that or actually, please don't interrupt me then I feel like I, I am having to make those decisions, but I, wow. I'd rather be heard. <laughs> you bring up a brilliant point. I think I still actually gear towards the former. It's like, I'd rather be likable than be heard right now. And I wonder if that's going to change like substantially in the future. I hope it does, you know, even with the fact that I might not be as likable. Because I feel like that is a kind of a narrative, you know, like that sort of aggressive woman at the top, you Mm. know, and how did she get there? And like, she probably got there by bringing others down or, you know, there's like a lot of studies about that. So kind of like the queen bee it's called or whatever. Yeah. So if you were in a position of power at a tech company, what's the first thing you would do to create a more inclusive space? I know you talked about a lot of things, but what's the first thing you would do? Well, I guess, (laughs) yeah, that's difficult. In terms of starting first, it's kind of hard to say like, what, do you start changing kind of the culture within, like given mm-hmm. the people that you have there and like mm-hmm. making that a more inclusive environment? Or of course, the other thing to look at is like recruiting and how do you start like, you know, bringing in mm-hmm. um, more yeah. diversity into mm-hmm. a company? I think I would start by like making sure the environment that you're already in is inclusive for for the folks that are in, um, mm-hmm. I guess like with the caveat that like you have a semi-diverse <laughs> group of people to work with. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then I think within that scenario, I would start with what I mentioned, which is communication and how people communicate within the company, whether Mm -hmm. it's like giving feedback, whether Mm -hmm. it's how you speak to each other in meetings. Offering different options, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, like offering guidelines, offering different different methods of, you know, offering feedback. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, A, that's like part of how we work every day in tech. Mm -hmm. And... B, that's how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, how you can begin to have impact is by making sure that you you are included in those conversations, that there is room for you, and that, yeah, that you will be involved in those decisions. Mm -hmm. So having guidelines or 
you know, yeah, I definitely don't want to say rules, but like guidelines or like a culture where people feel like they can be heard, that, you know, their opinion is not only sought after, but actually like integrated into mm-hmm. decision making. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I think I'd probably start there. Brilliant. Awesome. And I know you talked about like connecting with women. And I'm wondering if there's specifically a woman who inspires you today and why she does. Yeah. I think, you know, most recently I worked with uh, May Lee Ko, mm-hmm. who's uh, the VP of Design at Khan Academy. And she definitely inspires me in that, A, she's an amazing designer. She's super generative. She's a great problem solver. But also she inspires me because she's able to, you know, kind of how we were talking about earlier, like about humor and this kind of stuff. I mm-hmm. feel like she's able to bring both joy and a sense of firmness mm. to the way that she handles any kind of situation, whether it's like a brainstorm or like a more formal meeting mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, that's hard to do. And I feel like that's so hard to do. And that's something that, you know, I'd definitely love to get to that point mm-hmm. rather than just like being really angry, <laughs> <laughs> which I definitely feel I like am. <laughs> but, you know, I really admire that, you know, she's able to like have so much joy, like bring so much joy like to others, but also be really firm in her ideas in the way that she's supporting the team mm-hmm. and that she's a great designer. So related to anger though, I do feel you on that. Like I feel it's really easy to sort of bring yourself down when you're sort of the only woman of color like in the room and you know, it's like day after day you kinda have to deal with like that feeling of isolationism, I guess. And, you know, humans are very social, so you want to be social with, like, people of your same background or similar background. So it is easy to feel, like, a little sad about it, and then that sadness, like, turns into anger at some point. And then, you know, you're creating podcasts about, like, women, <laughs> color, and tech, so you can, like, vent about yeah, it and just, totally. like, talk about it. <laughs> okay, so kind of related to, like, you know, advice you'd have for your younger self, what do you think that young women need to know, hear, or see to consider product design in tech as a career option? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I sigh because it's like, even though I have felt like pretty supported in this industry, like it does have, (laughs) it does have a lot of flaws Mm -hmm. and we do have so much room to grow. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I think especially being a designer in tech, it's Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, technology is a human problem you are designing for people. Mm-hmm. You need to bring so much. Technology needs more, more heart. It more need, empathy. More empathy. Yeah. It needs way more. Just really thinking about people and being like super people focused and mm-hmm. being understanding. And that in order to do that, you need to, you need to have a diverse group of people in the room. You need to have people who have different backgrounds. You need to have people who are able to like feel a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel really strongly about that, you know, as a product designer mm-hmm. in tech, I think we need more of that. Um, and I think women of color in particular are like very well suited <laughs> for that kind of, for that kind of role. Okay, great. And how can a more privileged ally help out like yourself? I feel like a lot of the supporters you had, they were allies, right? So what can they do to help out? And if they aren't helping out, what can they do to educate themselves better on like the issues that we face at work in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I guess in terms of like educating and just being more aware, I think like one relatively easy thing to do is to like 
for example, if you are on Twitter, start following more women of color or people mm, of color right. on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, recently I've changed my Twitter, so I'm pretty much only following. <laughs> but, you know, you don't yeah, have to yeah. be that dramatic yeah, yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. But I find that great because a lot of people are posting, you know, just like anecdotes from their everyday life that, you know, if you're not already in touch with that community, you, you may just, you might just not know. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that, like, people are sharing that kind of stuff on Twitter. And so seeking, seeking those kind of people out, following them, seeing what, seeing what they have to say. I think that's like one relatively easy thing that you could do if you want to be a supportive ally. And then I think taking that further into like, you know, action. Obviously, if you are in a position of hiring, then that's super crucial that you are trying to trying to yeah, recruit more diverse candidates, trying to recruit women of color and and really to do that, I think really going beyond your network and finding those groups where those people are reaching out to them directly, like it takes work. It takes work and it is like a thousand percent worth it. Like it needs to be done. And if you are in a position to be hiring, like I think that should be part of the job. Mm -hmm. And then I think the, the last thing is like, if you are already working with, you know, women of color, people of color, women in general, and you are in a, you feel like you're in a more privileged position, noting that and when the, when our right opportunity comes, giving them the space to talk, passing up an opportunity, giving it to them, mm -hmm. giving credit when credit is due. I think that that's super important. And again, it's like a relatively small thing that you could do. It could be in the moment. It could be in a meeting. Oh, hey, um, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, I heard that, that, you know, you had that idea last week. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk more about that. Mm -hmm. So really, again, like making space for making space for other people. Just making space instead of taking up more space. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that's that's a big issue. And I've had issues um, in the past where, you know, folks have taken credit for work I've done or I just wasn't acknowledged, you know, for the right. work that I did. So definitely feel you on there. Before we move on to the mini takeaways, because we're getting close to the end here, yeah. is there anything I left out that you'd like to address? Any call to action you want to share? A piece of advice? An inspirational quote? Whatever you want. <laughs> before we move on to the mini takeaways. No, I think I think we've covered we've covered the important bits. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> so let's go on to the mini takeaways. These are meant to be like short, you know, nice okay. answers. So. What is a useful app or platform that has helped you grow in your career? Hashtag app advice. <laughs> um, well, I think as a designer, honestly, just like designing more <laughs> has been really helpful. And uh, I think Figma is amazing for that. I love Figma. Yeah, especially, you know, like now I have a MacBook, but I didn't when mm -hmm. I was younger. And Figma, you can use it on a PC, which exactly. is like, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like all of the other design apps, you need to have a MacBook. On There's Figma, you don't. Access. There's absolutely a barrier to access. And so the fact that Figma, you can use it from your web browser, you can use it on a PC, you can, even if you don't have your own computer, you can go to a library and use mm -hmm. it there. Right, um, exactly. As long as you have access to an internet browser, exactly. which most of the world does have, you are good to go with Figma, which yes. I think is brilliant. And I think that, you know, unrelated to this, I just have to talk about this. <laughs> I really do think that the web is going to become the operating system mm. of the future because we already do so much of our work in the web. I think it's just inevitable. It makes a lot of sense. There are no barriers to access because it's not tied to a specific operating system. So, yeah, I love Figma. We use that at Slack. 
Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is an organization or affinity group that you would recommend joining that, you know, has been supportive? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I I really haven't found one yet, <laughs> but I'm super excited now that I've moved to the Bay Area to become more involved mm-hmm. in affinity in, in affinity groups. Okay, I would recommend Tecaria. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of biased, but Tecaria is like one of the largest communities for Latinx and tech, and we have like a whole designers channel, so... There's definitely quite a few folks there that yeah. you could connect to. Yeah, totally. I'm I'm super excited about looking more into that. I went to a Latinx event um, hosted, I think, by Lyft the other night. Ooh, nice. Yeah, and I met, like, loads of Latinx people in tech that I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is yeah. unbelievable. There's also that website Latinx is who designed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's I don't right. know too much about it, but, yeah. And then the last and final question, where do you live online and how can people reach out to you? Sure. Hashtag um, grow your network. <laughs> Um, yeah, I live on Twitter, and you can find me at Hel- at Helena Jar. Okay, I think. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So Twitter is the best way. Though. Yeah, Twitter is the best way. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Thanks so much, Helena. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Hope you have a great week. And that's it, folks. Thanks for listening, and please feel free to share or subscribe to the Tech Queens podcast. References and links from today's episode will be shared on the website at techqueenspod.com. And if you're interested in being on the podcast yourself, just head on over to the website and fill out the contact form located near the bottom. It doesn't matter where you are in your tech journey. Whether you've been in tech for months or decades, I want to hear from you, and I want to share your story. So until next time, stay fancy. Hashtag Tech Queens.